So you've got a podcast or an idea for a podcast or no ideas yet, but you want to start a podcast. Whatever stage you're at, G Media Solutions is here to help you take your podcast to the next level. We are a podcast production company based in Atlanta that specializes in audio recording, video live streaming, and all the elements you need to make your podcast thrive. To fulfill your podcast needs, contact us on Facebook and or Instagram at G Media ATL. Before the start of this episode, I wanted to tell you about another podcast that I am producing for my friend Aisha. It's called the Botanica Podcast. I wonder what she thinks of that pronunciation. But anyway, <laughs> uh, here's a trailer for the podcast. You can subscribe to it uh, anywhere you get your podcast, just like ours. Here it is. Welcome to the Botanica Podcast. This is your host, Aisha. Listen in as we discuss topics like love, health, sex, relationships, and even alternative medicine. We stream live every Sunday at 8 on Facebook. Listen to the Botanica Podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to stop by our Botanica every Sunday. We have a lot to share. There's another podcast I want to tell you guys about. It's called The Barber and the Bartender. There's a barber, there's a bartender, and they talk about pop culture, sports, music. And of course, because one of them's a bartender, there's going to be a drink of the day and he'll give you a little history on different libations. So uh, tune into The Barber and the Bartender on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. They're on Facebook. Here's the trailer for their podcast. Come to my chair, you catch a bait or get a taste. This shit gonna hurt tomorrow. Mm-mm. But it tastes good today. It's gonna hurt right now. I'm at the bar mixing up drinks and conversation. Yeah, no, I'm just a part-time dirtbag. Don't do that. You're a superstar. Yeah, we the ones you talk to and we your favorite. I'm a barber. You know what I'm saying? Niggas, got their, niggas put it got their permanent hair, I know. You know what I'm saying? Just said I just like, my hero. You gonna hurt him on the perm? First of all, niggas that have nappy hair, put permanent hair, have baby hair. It's the barber and the bartender, the best podcast in the nation. By the time you hear this podcast, you'll go through the fire, to the limit, and to the wall.
Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we're back with episode 189. So thank you to everyone who's listened so far. And uh, everyone who's downloaded and streamed or watched the live stream, wherever you are, we appreciate it. Definitely. So uh, I know it's been a while since we've done an episode. And sorry, <laughs> it happens. we're back with another one. Okay, so let's get to it. Uh, let's get to some uh, some music news, as is customary or per usual. Um, well, I wanted to get some some observations. Um, I I don't know if I mentioned this on the last episode, but um, my truck is from last century. Okay. <laughs> So what well, is the the kids say the late 1900s the late 1900s <laughs> <laughs> So um certain amenities um that you think would come with the car people take for for granted perhaps mm. uh, was not in that in the, my particular model of truck uh it is from 1999 but even though um CDs were the more prevalent selling media uh, it, it did not have a CD player. It, it, it has a tape deck. <laughs> and um, probably around that time, there were the cassette adapters where you could connect to a CD player. Um, and now there are cassette adapters that connect to your phone uh, to play it to. Interesting. Um, that's what I had been using for about a year and a half. Um, well, no, actually two years. Uh, so, um, uh, when the tape deck no longer works, <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? What do you do? Uh, I started researching, like, should I put a CarPlay, uh, receiver in here with the touch screen? And I mean, I already put in like the, the, uh, the odometer lights. Mm-hmm. In and I basically had to take apart the take out the radio to get to the odometer lights, uh, so Doing I could replace labor. a radio. Doing some labor in here, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I could replace it fairly easily. I just had to find the right one, the one that that would fit in there. And I was like, man, I. It took so long with the odometer lights. I don't have time and I don't <laughs> want to pay anyone to do it though. So it's like, I wonder if they still, cause when I had my, um, my Taurus, mm-hmm. I had an FM transmitter that I could connect to my, um, phone. Mm-hmm. It's like, do they still make those? So I was in Walmart <laughs> last week and they had one. Okay. It was FM transmitter, it was Bluetooth. Because it's 2022, of course. It's 2022. It still had one, so I just put it in the in the um, uh, the cigarette lighter. Okay, it worked. Paired with my phone, I just had to find a radio station that does not exist to get (laughs) for it to play clearly. Uh, so now I'm able to play podcast and music on my commute again good quality good enough quality good quality okay yeah i had i may i had to change it a little bit because i'm driving from 
Conyers, Lithonia into Atlanta. So I have to, once I'm getting closer to Atlanta, I got to change it to something else. That doesn't exist. It, yeah. That's a station that doesn't exist. <laughs> but I will say this in the couple of weeks that uh, I was had to listen to the radio. Um, there are a lot of songs. I, I felt like I heard like, We've, and we talked about this before. The The playlist is limited. Oh, yeah. They right? keep it small. Uh, Star 94 is changing up by playing everything. Whatever they want. Yeah. It seems like <laughs> it's just like. It could be anything. Like they just take one of their employees' playlists and it's like, uh, this week is you, John. <laughs> they did have a contest that I, I wasn't able to participate in uh, where if you catch them, if you hear the same song twice between nine and five. And call in and win a thousand dollars. That's confidence. <laughs> that is some confidence. It's like, but basically, you have to be listening to the radio all, all day. day. I don't know if people have jobs like that unless they, you know, they work at home, maybe. Not to mention, like, you've probably set a budget <laughs> of how many of how many winners you actually want. So I'm sure they're not giving away a thousand dollars a day. So just no. think about that. But they do the contest every day. But so but just, not everyone. I don't think there's a. They don't have. I don't know if they have a winner every day. Probably not. So they're playing such varied music. They don't play the same song twice a day. Some days. How many radio stations can say that? <laughs> not that we play nothing but rock. I'm sure they can't say that. You uh, might hear lithium three times. <laughs> so that was. <laughs> That was uh that was Star ninety four. Uh, there's ninety four point five. The streets. The what? Uh, yeah, they play a lot of a lot of hip hop, but their signal's not very clear. Even though uh, I'm going straight down twenty, the signal's never clear. Is that the station that plays the old school hip hop or no? That's another one. Because there's a station that everyone's like, oh, they play nothing but old stuff. Okay. Uh, I think that's is that OG ninety seven. Ninety four five. The streets. The streets. That's the one where Young Jock has his uh, morning show. I am so disconnected. Young Jock has a morning show. Yes, he has a morning talk show. Jock from College Park, where they chop cars. Yes. Okay, hey, all right. <laughs> um, Good for him. Good for him, because, you know, Diddy wasn't going to pay him. Uh, 94.9 is country. Yeah, I know. Um, They've had that signal unlocked for quite some time. The, whatever's through 95, I think that's all talk radio. Ninety Power 96, mm. I swear to you, man, on that station, every commute, Coming and going on Power 96 every single time I hear About Damn Time by Lizzo. Can't get away from it. I can't escape that song. (laughs) I can't escape it. Um, And, uh, of course, there's 97.1, 97.1, The River. That's the classic rock station. Um, I I boycott them. Um. They insulted rap. They, I, my earworm came from hearing that station though. Oh word! Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> there was some show. It was like a festival, and they were there, and they just basically kind of like insulted rap, but in that like boomer mentality, like I'm listening to classic rock boomer mentality. Like it don't take talent, rap it or rap rap. And I was just like, pass, pass. Um, I didn't listen to V103 very much. Um, I feel like that's the that's the black boomer station V one hundred three. There, uh, there are a couple of Spanish stations. 
Um, and there was a, and yeah, well, of course, the aforementioned uh, OG 97. That's the the classic hip hop station. Okay, OG ninety seven. Uh, I think it's ninety seven nine. That's yes. the old hot nine seven. Um, okay, so it's not. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So hot nine seven is now ninety seven nine, and they just play old. Oh, okay. I guess you just gotta find a format and kind of you know the nostalgia format really is probably very um, lucrative. I would say. And I. Um... The mo- the songs I heard the most, what well, about Damn Time by Lizzo? Mm-hmm. I would always catch the end of Late Night Talking mm-hmm. by Harry Styles. Like if I would change, I was changing the station mm-hmm. often. <laughs> I would always hear like the end of that song. Yeah, um, the song that you didn't particularly like, Bad Habit by Steve Lacey. I heard that song quite a bit. I saw a feature about him on TikTok and how he got started. I didn't. I did not know he was a beat maker. So, yeah, I saw him like we play with the internet. I respect them. Um, yeah, uh, it was. I'll say like that was a very weird crowd. I I don't think I belong there. You belong um, anywhere, Greg. Come on. No, the the, the <laughs> demographic for that group, the fans of that group, I did not belong there. <laughs> there were so many. Um, I don't know if they were actual lesbians or they felt like they. Just would give be. Sid a chance <laughs> because she could sing. And a lot of uh, confused guys love Steve Lacey. Really? Yeah. Huh. Let me get a good look at him again. Hold on. I think he came out as bisexual like a few years ago. I've but, only so seen him like once. But I think there are a lot of confused guys that like Steve Lacey. Interesting. Okay. Um. But uh, that song, Bad Habit, I heard that song a lot. Um, Stay, Kid Leroy, I heard that one a lot. Still? That's that's still, still getting run? Still. Um, Sweetest Pie, that's uh, Dua Lipa and Megan Thee Stallion. That came on a oh, lot. Yeah. Mm. Um, and it seemed like every morning on Star 94, Mm-hmm. They would play something by Dr. Dre. It would it, it would be it could be Let Me Ride. It could be um, Dre Day. It's just so crazy how like twenty years ago they wouldn't Nothing even the Mudda G thing. They wouldn't like, even play the be... rap in Waterfalls. <laughs> 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 and now they're playing. They I full do, Dr. They Dre play songs. Dr. Dre something from the Chronic every morning. <laughs> I imagine that maybe whoever comes in in the morning is just like. It's like his favorite album. He <laughs> said, like, "Oh yeah, it's more Dr. Dre." Yeah, yeah. All right. So next month we're gonna move to two thousand one. We're gonna <laughs> still DRE. <name. laughs> uh, so that that's my my radio observations. Um, but definitely the the most prominent is I could not escape that Lizzo song. I just could not. It sounds really good. Like it sounds she got like a real band playing and all that, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were like five stations that would play that song. Five different stations would play it. <laughs> but yet I'm supposed to believe that payola does not exist. Let me stop. Let me stop. Let me stop. Let me stop. Oh. I might ruffle some feathers. I don't know. I mean, just I, I, I mean, I, I think it's kind of unwritten that it's still it's still around. Yeah. In, in some kind of way. Yeah. 
Um, so let's get to some music news. Um, she's all over social media, especially, I would say the Instagram reels. I don't know about TikTok, mm-hmm. but on Instagram reels, uh, everywhere is Ice Spice. Yeah, I've I've heard of her, but I don't know much about her. Was I know there was some sort of controversy with her recently, though, right? Um, not necessarily. Well, indirectly with her, I guess. Um, you know how people feel about uh, is New York hip hop dead because Atlanta is basically all of hip hop for the most mm-hmm. part. So it's every time there's someone out of New York, you know, they're kind of lifted up and hyped a little bit more. Than others, yeah. especially if they have something catchy. Um, so Ice Spice, she does, uh, she has the song Munch, which is a New York drill song that's a popular style right now still. So, um, I well, I guess the controversy is actually that she she got the co-sign from Drake mm-hmm. that he's like, oh, he, he she posted the DM like. Hey, we really like that Munch song and that freestyle you did. We're gonna play that on our show because he has a um, a radio show on Apple Music. I think I think it's on Apple Music. So she got the co-sign from him, and the shows that she was doing, she was making about four thousand dollars a show. Uh, okay. So yeah, yeah. And when she got the co-sign from Drake, and then the picture with Funkmaster Flex. Also giving her the co-sign, saying this is the hottest rapper out of New York right now. Yep. The price of the brick went up. Yep. So all the shows that she had that were uh, paid her $4,000 <laughs> canceled. Canceled all the $4,000 shows, and now the new price is $15,000. Um, so uh, I guess that's the controversy with her that, you know, she's she's uh, – Striking while the iron's hot, yeah. if you will. Uh, but really, uh, still off of one and a half songs. Yeah, so, I want to think was I don't know how long it's going to last. Was there? I think there was another controversy with her too, where she was at a show playing one of her songs, before one of her songs, and like people only knew the part from oh, TikTok. The part, the part from TikTok or, or Instagram. Like everything else, it, it got quiet. <laughs> and it's like, is that? I think this is an issue. <laughs> It's like you know that one part, and that's it. And but yeah, let's give her fifteen grand for a show now. You know, hey, <laughs> I don't. I feel like that's on. I'm gonna sound like the old guy. I feel like that's very on brand for Gen Z, for Gen Z and, millenn- and younger yeah. millennials. It's just like rather than honoring, you know, kind of like ghost culture. Like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna ghost you and not say anything, even though I made a commitment. Like you made a commitment, we signed a contract, but now because like one little thing changed. You're like, yep, nope. Now I I want more money. It's like, but you, mm. yeah. I I was talking because uh, it's kind of dirty. <laughs> talking to somebody about that, like, who is a uh, he is an independent rapper. Like, is was this a good idea to like if she didn't cancel, like I mean, if she had already signed the contract, mm-hmm. uh, is that good? Are you doing good business by canceling and saying? We want more, and you know, if you want to still have me do this show, or mm-hmm. if it was just canceled altogether, is that good business? And from his perspective, uh, he felt that it was not a good idea, and it was probably came from her, not from her team. 
Mm. And that might actually be worse if it came from her team that they just canceled stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, because he said basically promoters talk to each other. Oh, yeah. I have heard that as well. Because he, he had gotten other shows just because the promoter he was working with was cool with another promoter. Mm -hmm. It was like, hey, you should put him on, you know, bring him to your place. And and then he would get more gigs from there. Mm -hmm. So I could see his perspective that this could be this could be bad business. Yeah, oh, I I don't think it could be. It is bad. I think it's very. You think bad it business. is bad. Business. I think it's awful business. Like, who's gonna want to book you now? Like, you could, you know, like someone else could. Maybe you book like you know some big talk show and you get more streaming numbers and maybe you go platinum now and you're like, up oh, now the price went up to fifty thousand. Like that sounds like extortion at that point. Yeah. It's like at that point, I'm just gonna cancel you. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm cool. I'll, if you want to cancel, we just won't rebook you. How about that? <laughs> How about that? And you can, you know, these God, these TikTok stars, man, like these people who who primarily make their bread and their reputation off of a song going viral. And I understand, like, strike while the iron's hot because. Success is fleeting now. Like you don't, it's very rare if that's how you come up that you're going to stay successful for a long time. But like, why do things to um, hasten your demise, if you will? Like there's, I think there's a way to do this um, and this is not it. But it also kind of makes me wonder as well, you know, you think you're all this, you think you're all that. Do you not think that maybe you might want to possibly come back around to these venues at some point? When your second song gets hot or your third song gets hot or your fourth song gets hot? Or do you not think that you can do that? Do you think you only got one or two of these in you? <laughs> so you're just getting everything you can while you can. Because, I mean, I just I can't imagine this is behavior that, you know, to go back to who, who co-signed on her. I can't imagine this behavior that Drake would do. Like Drake wouldn't yeah. be like, I've got no Drake knows that I'll, I'm, I plan on being here in 10 years. So and what's interesting with. uh I don't know if anyone's seen it, see it, what it is yet, but like I said he he co-signed her and like played her song on his radio show, and then later he invited her to I think they had OVO Fest recently, um, uh, invited her to the festival, mm -hmm. and uh. They hung on everything. They talked. She got to see performances. But then someone posted that Drake suddenly unfollowed her on oh. Instagram. <laughs> that means one of two things. Y'all can fill in the blank. <laughs> it's one of two things. Um, I think it's the, oh, she ain't got no more songs. She might not be that good. Um, I think it's that. Y'all can mm -hmm. figure out what the other thing is. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I understand striking while the iron's hot, but he, it's it. I'm leaning towards that. It is bad business with these shows being canceled. That was for less money because. Um, you know, you can still honor that because no one knew who knew who you were 45 days ago. Yeah. But you, but to me, this. So, of course, there's 
artist empowerment, entertainer empowerment. And I think that this can kind of be traced to what Dave Chappelle has done recently. And I respect Dave, but I think he was out of bounds here. So, of course, what I'm talking about is when he comes out with that, like it's like a 10 or 15 minute special where he talks about um, how he wanted to renegotiate with Comedy Central. He felt that his original deal wasn't fair. He felt that they were taking advantage of him. And he said he demanded that they take his content down. Netflix obliged. Comedy Central did not. Eventually, they renegotiated with them. Well, because they were still making money off of the content. Correct. But he wasn't. Correct. So, and that. So I thought he was. I thought he said he was. He was making money, but not as he wanted more. Or he wasn't. No, he was. He wasn't making any money off of. Off, off of Chappelle uh, Show. Off Chappelle Show. Yeah. With it being. You know, with Comedy Central, with their clips that they put on their website and yeah. on YouTube, and then uh, with Netflix, that was that was between Netflix and Comedy Central mm-hmm. with Chappelle Show being on Netflix. Yeah, but he wasn't making any money off of that, so he yeah. wanted the money for his content, and so he asked Netflix to take it down. Yeah, they did until everything was renegotiated. So the issue that I had there, regardless, was what I feel that artists. And I'm saying this as an artist myself. The Your art is worth what people are willing to pay for it. If you're unknown and no one knows who you are, your art is essentially worth nothing. Your art means everything to you as an artist. But when you're trying to get your art out there, you're dependent upon somebody with reach, with pull, with influence, with funds, with means to get it out there. They're taking all the risk. Your only risk really is putting your art out there and you'll have some artists say, well, that's a big risk. Like it is. I get it from a from an emotional standpoint. That's a big risk. And so I look at that as Comedy Central took a chance on you. HBO didn't want you. You'd been in movies. You know, you had a special on HBO, but they wouldn't give you the show that you wanted. Comedy Central took a chance on you. They funded everything. Um he knew he I I felt that he knew he wasn't getting paid because that first season of Chappelle show, what did he always say? Every episode, pay me. Oh, yeah. Pay me. Pay me. Um and then what did they do after he was successful? They paid him. <laughs> they paid him a lot of money. But then he runs. And for understandable reasons I get that, but like I hate that he pretended that Comedy Central didn't try to do right by him. After he proved a uh, proof of concept. After proof of concept you're good. You're so successful. Here's $50 million. You're one of the highest paid people, not just on like as a comedian, but one of the highest paid people in TV. Proof of concept, you ran. You come back now. You want to renegotiate, even though you're like the success that you achieved because Comedy Central took a chance on you. You're now the biggest comedian in the world. My whole thing was would you give all of that back to get a more favorable contract at the beginning? That's what I wonder. And so, and that's what this kind of feels like to me. Only she's doing it. (laughs) She's burning all these bridges so that she can negotiate, renegotiate in real time. Even though, like you said, 45 days ago, who the hell is, (laughs) is ice spice and what is munch, you know, and then somebody with means and with reach, i.e. Drake, Funkmaster Flex comes out here, puts you on, and now all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, I'm just going to go back and renegotiate, like, right now. 
have you even earned the ability to do that? Like, you know, I, I'd be curious of these shows that she canceled. How many people felt that she was worth the fifty thousand dollars she's now asking for versus the fifteen before? So, and I mean, and like I said, power to the entertainer. But like, if it weren't for if it weren't for Comedy Central taking that chance, taking that risk, bringing him on, would we even know who Dave Chappelle was, or would he be the dude from Half Baked? He'd probably be doing multiple, because also at the time of Chappelle's show, he had a couple of different uh, failed sitcoms. Yeah. Uh, he was supposed to be on one. That was a spinoff of Home Improvement. Wasn't he on one with um, Jim Brewer, too? That was the spinoff of okay. Home Improvement. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would have actually been funny, but that's just me. But uh, So I think he still would have been kind of searching for that breakthrough as far as a sitcom rather than a sketch comedy show. But either way, uh, we'll see what happens with I Spice because that's everything you're doing. We'll come back to you. <laughs> and it's all looking like one hit wonderdom. Yeah. And not even like you're on the billboard charts. It just. You're TikTok famous. <laughs> you're TikTok famous. And like they don't even know your whole song enough to sing the whole thing. We've only heard the hook. Yeah. It's it's it just reeks of um, I'm owed more than I've given so far. Yeah. So we'll see. And and maybe it might last a little bit longer because who New York got right now? And I really do. I mean, I don't know this woman, but I really do hope that she's very successful. I don't want her to be unsuccessful. Yeah. But like he said, and I mean, and I could even, you know, talk about how people that I've known have tried to. um I don't want to say two-time promoters, but, like, gone behind their back, stuff like that. I'm like, no, you do not do that. <laughs> I was like, they all talk. And if you screw one over, you screw them all over. They'll find out. They won't book you. Like, no, you don't do that. That's just, that's bad for business. Please believe me. <laughs> that is bad for business. So um, let's go into our next story. Okay, so this happened a couple of weeks ago. And... You know, uh, I've heard, well, if you're listening to the podcast version of this, you heard the, the trailer for the Botanica podcast where we, we recorded right before this, but we talked at length about the Nia Long, Ime Yudoka situation. And, you know, everyone wants to be, and everyone on social media tries to be a detective. I'm going to have to listen to that episode now. Yes. <laughs> uh, everyone tries to be a detective. And I think it applies also to, you know, things that happen that are a little more tragic. So I'm talking about PNB Rock yeah. was shot and killed uh, while having breakfast with his girlfriend at a at a Roscoe's. Roscoe's chicken waffles, <laughs> baby. Um, was it that was in, it was in South LA, right? Yeah, South Central LA. Yeah. So he gets um, he he's shot and killed there, and a lot of people try to blame his girlfriend because she posted on Instagram. The food on the table. And a picture of him too, right? No. no not a picture of no, him? No, not a picture of Just him. Just that they were there. Just okay. that they were okay. there. Because I feel people were following. If if people were going to go and rob and rob him or kill him or whatever, mm-hmm. they're going to find the people who are associated with him. So it was on her Instagram account. Not even his. Not even his. Mm-hmm. So they knew who she was. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, she probably with him. Let's go. Or something like that. And... You know, so a lot of people try to blame her. It's like, oh, you can't, you can't be telling people where you are like that. 
while there are so many celebrities who have tens of millions of followers yeah. posting their every move, mm-hmm. where they go shopping, where they go on a trip, um, they bought a new car, some restaurant, some event. Um, and with him being killed, it happened because there were people who wanted to kill him. And not because she posted something on Instagram. They were looking for him. They had to be. Mm -hmm. They had to be looking for him. So they're going to go through all these avenues to find him. Well, there's also, you know, the talk coming out now about, you know, that type of this glorified kind of gang culture. Yeah. The rap culture checking in, so to speak. Yeah. When you and go what to does that even city. mean? And why do we expect that of, of, of hip hop artists? I forget who it was I saw that said it. It's like you don't ask a country artist to check in. You don't ask a, a rock artist to check in. You don't ask, you know. It's us. Why? Why? You know. Why are we doing that to each other? Why are we? You know. It's it's uh, and it's senseless. You know. It, it, yeah, it, it like, didn't need to happen. You know, protecting, um, protecting an area that you don't own. Oh, exactly. Yeah, you you don't own L.A. <laughs> uh, but if I guess like in the artist music, if what you talk about is associating with either some kind of gang culture, mm-hmm. some kind of violence. Um, and a lot of stuff, which some people don't realize, with a lot of rap and really with a lot of, um, I can't remember what the exact kind of song it's called, but with a lot of Mexican music, mm-hmm. they're talking about like real things as far as like if someone got killed, mm-hmm. if someone got robbed, yeah, like this person did it, you know? Yeah. Um, so if they're... People will pay attention to that. I don't know what it was exactly in P&B Rock's music, if there was any. Yeah. But people are going to be on the lookout for him. And maybe he wasn't too concerned about it. Well, he actually had mentioned that he had been in an interview. He said there was an attempted robbery before. Mm. But the thing is, I'm not... I don't know. I, I I can't go with like leaning towards blaming him or his girlfriend for him getting killed because I, I just feel like it, it's not it wasn't like his fault. It was, you know, people were looking for him mm-hmm. and I think he knew that he knew the risk. Right. I didn't think it was going to happen at, at breakfast while mm-hmm. having breakfast. He probably wasn't thinking that, but he knew I think he knew it was a possibility. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't want to like blame him for getting um, murdered. <laughs> I don't want to blame him for getting murdered or as the kids say, lacking. Like what does that even mean? Like that's and, and that's that just speaks that's, to larger issues and, with and, this and culture. It brings up the kind of the ridiculous notion, oh, being a rapper is a dangerous job. Why? Well, it doesn't have to be. <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Uh but on the other hand though which someone said that record companies look for the rappers with the 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 hardest background. Yeah. I think we've been seeing the same videos. Is this the guy who also talked about taking out life insurance policies on those rappers? Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. And how they still they still getting paid. Family not going to get none of it. 
Well, I sent you those those pictures of was it like eight artists? Yeah. They're yeah. all under the same distribution company mm-hmm. and they're all dead. Yeah. There's like eight artists. And, and then and so when I saw someone post a picture like, oh, they all had on the same ring. I think some of the rings were like Photoshop, but mm-hmm. I understand the point that they were trying to make because it was it was the same eight guys. It was and the same this, eight artists. And 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 sadly because they are hip hop artists with, as we've said, bad backgrounds. No one really thinks about it. You know, like we've talked about Tupac and Biggie on here. Both came from hard backgrounds and 20 plus years to 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 find killers of them because who cares? Just two rappers got killed, you know? You know, yeah. and, what's this? And, and then with them, it's not the kind of background. I mean, it kind of is, but not really because the more we learned about someone like Biggie, super smart. Yeah. Um, uh, but he didn't like being poor. <laughs> <laughs> so he ends up selling drugs. But he still had the talent yeah. as a rapper. And But he's going to talk about what he knows. Yeah. Um, with Tupac, went to art school. Uh, grew up in uh, Baltimore. So it's kind of like hard to really associate him with yeah, L.A. Because he's really actually... He actually lived more in Oakland. Yeah. But the point the point is like another super smart person, the son of Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. So he's gonna be in tune with his blackness. With his blackness. And in a way, both of them scared people. They they scared white people and then like now they're beloved or whatever. Sanitized. Yes, whitewashed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, to see them come, like, we, I guess we, like, learned the process and, you know, where they're coming from, the point they were making and and why people love them so much. Mm-hmm. With these current rappers, like, there's, I, I'm not saying, like, for me personally, there's not a connection for me personally, but there is, I guess there's some kind of connection with the fans, but it's, it's warped. It's mm-hmm. it, it just seems different, like because they came up the way they came up, you know, like Tubac and Biggie could be inspirational in a way, mm-hmm. make want people want to do better, inspire them in some way, um, to get out of this life, what if they're in that life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was like the rappers currently are inspiring people to get into that life. That life. You know, and and then it gets weirder where, like, why are you on Instagram flashing your guns? And, Clarence had and, a good and, family. And <laughs> Clarence came from a two-parent household. Clarence has a good family. You are in the suburbs, man. Yeah. It's, you got it's, soccer practice tomorrow. What the fuck is this? Yeah. I, <laughs> I, what, I, what I'm afraid of, and it looks like they're really investigating it, but it, it just feels like, ah, uh, it's just another black rapper, you know. And then it's it can expected. get dis- dismissed in, in that mm-hmm. way. And it, it's like it that sets... Joker saying, like, it's like it's a part of the plan. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it it sets people back, really. When I'm not saying like it's, it, you know, it happened this way with P&B Rock, but I think it's it can get lost in that kind of um, that kind of narrative. I mean, what I do like, though, is. You are seeing, because of all these rappers that you've mentioned that have been dying, 
it almost seems like systematically, which is kind of creepy. But what I do like is the conversation around that culture does seem to be shifting to where, you know, there are more people speaking out and saying, why are we okay with this? Why are we, why are we just saying that this is just a part of the culture? What kind of culture is this where we're okay with young, talented rappers dying? Like why are we like why are we okay with it? And so I and I and I'm or glad there, that and, conversation's and not, starting. And the thing is, it's not just like murder. Yeah, it's drug overdoses. Mm-hmm. It's um, well, well, yeah, mostly murder and <laughs> drug overdoses. But still, yeah. it's like Juice World had he had the world on a unlimited string. potential. Yeah, unlimited mm-hmm. potential. He's had two posthumous albums. Yeah. So <laughs> and that's that's what I'm hoping. But because he had though, drugs you know? and guns or whatever on a plane and he was going to be arrested, he basically took his own life by consuming all, all these drugs. Yeah. And it, it seemed like that always happens where there's like suddenly – these artists are now uh if they were selling drugs before now it's on a larger scale where there it's there's more at risk mm-hmm. for them not only for their career but for their life yeah um and then you know you see it's like young thug and gunna are still in jail ysl like why i used you... to see them across the street every couple weeks well, just, Young Thug for the most part. It's like, why you even have to do that? <laughs> exactly. Like you've got music. You've got success. You've got a, a way to be legit. Can't leave the culture behind, though. The culture. The culture. And the what co- is leaving the culture behind? Like, the culture will get you. have seen the culture will get you killed. <laughs> it'll get you locked up. <laughs> it'll get you, or it'll get you disabled or something. Like, it's, you know, like, what? Like, what is so, I'm just, I'm, that's the only thing out of this that I'm happy is that at least... The narrative and the, the conversation has started, and the narrative is finally starting to shift. Have you seen that with, like, look at uh, Bobby Shmurda? Mm hmm. Uh, because he may or may not have been involved in something and is in a situation where does he rat out his friends or not? He chose not to, and he did eight years. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he's out now, you know, trying to make up for lost time. <laughs> you see the stuff he's out there doing, but. You know, and sometimes these guys get into those kinds of situations yeah. where they had to make those kinds of decisions. Uh, I feel, and I just feel like now, whatever new rapper comes out, uh, a gun charge is coming at the very least. Yeah. You know, you're going to have a gun in the car that uh, you don't have a license for. And it's going to be in Georgia where you don't need a license anymore, yeah. <laughs> but you're going to get arrested for it because you have it. And it makes me wonder, you know, because. I I'll, I will liken this to the other spectrum, um, country music, because that's where you typically have. So thinking about like you know, a black artist with a rough background, a white artist with a with a rough background is typically going to be like hard rock, or they're going to be country. You think you you see the people that they have around them that they had you know the that the record companies and record labels put around them to try to keep them out of trouble. Who are these record labels and, and and people putting around the black artists to keep them out of trouble. 
because it seems like a lot of them kind of come up and bring everyone and try to keep it, you know, as real as they can, so to speak, to, to quote Dave Chappelle. And it's just like, who's that person that's around them keeping them out of trouble? Because I feel like they don't really get that a lot. I don't because you you don't see this in other areas of music. You don't see artists getting in this much trouble as you see with black artists. And, you know, to quote Huey, yes, the government does <laughs> does conspire to bring up felonious charges against. But like in some cases, it's really just we just be making bad choices. Yeah. I mean, and they need the, a role model, man. But they, they also <laughs> look at, you know, if the if the record companies are looking at who has the hardest background. Who are their friends? Because, like, then you want to, like, well, you can bring your friends because it make it seem like you're empowering. Yeah, when they'd be like, no, you know, Mm-mm. like Le- <laughs> like LeBron James as one of his what well, Maverick Carter and, and Rich and Rich Maverick Rich, Carter and Rich, Rich Paul are friends. We can't all are, have are his friends. We can't all have friends that gonna act right though. <laughs> but he's he's empowered them, and now they're almost billionaires like he is. Yeah, and so I think people give them. Give the these new artists that angle. Mm-hmm. It's like if you come, if you win, then they win. But you don't know what kind of people but you don't they know are. Who they're bringing with them. That reminds me of another TikTok video I saw where they said there's a they think there's a lot of undiag like undiagnosed serial killers in gang culture. They're like you know they're like yeah it's because normally it's like you know in society it's one of the one of those I guess like the disadvantages of being a white guy. They're the serial killers. <laughs> if you're a black guy and you're doing it, oh, he's just, you know, he's just a little crazy. He's just in the gang. He liked it. But she was like, you know, a lot of these gang members, they are unstable. <laughs> they have serial killer tendencies. They have bodies. <laughs> but they don't get that label <laughs> as a serial killer. It's just, uh, yeah, you know, Ray, he just look, you know, he a little off. And it's like you could potentially bring the serial killer with you who's just like, I got bodies. Like, oh, his friends. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess, and, and of course, we're not going to solve this in, in one conversation. This is a very nuanced topic here. Yeah. But it is bothersome to to see this happen. And unfortunately, I don't think this will be the last rapper to die this year. We've only got three months left in this year. I, I don't think this will be the last one. Um, to die this year, definitely the last one overall to die from some. Um, it's it's definitely concerning. What did you did you see? Um, just culture, gang culture in L.A. and how it's nothing to mess with. And yeah, yeah. And I, I see. I saw Stephen Jackson said that he he just checked in. Stephen Jackson, like the, the, the basketball, basketball player? player. Yeah, he checks in just because, like, he's like, I'm trying to get home to my family, so. I mean, while it is a real thing, dude, it sounds ridiculous on the surface. Yeah, it really does. You'll check in with this guy who doesn't own anything in the city, but he just like, come on, dude. Yeah. He's not the mayor. <laughs> um, so uh, in, I guess, some business news, some actual business news, lots of lots of dollars uh, going to one oh, person. Yeah. So future. Um, has sold his catalog for music he made between 2004 and 2020 to influence media partners. Uh, speculated that it's between 65 and 75 million dollars. 
I feel like there's gonna this I feel like this is a bubble that's gonna burst soon. There's a lot of money being thrown around for catalogs. This makes me nervous. <laughs> um I mean I I wonder if he's going to uh, well, of course he's had new new music coming. Like I said, he makes he probably puts out a new album every, every six to nine yeah. months. So <laughs> <laughs> if this is a flop, well I got another one coming. <laughs> Just wait a minute. Um so, you know, uh Mask Off is is in there, is in the catalog. Uh Life is Good with Drake, the song Selfish with Rihanna. And he said, uh, I put everything into my music and I wanted to make sure these were in good hands as I thought about the next chapter of these songs. So you had to sell them? Okay. That's an interesting uh, way to look at it, though. I wanted to make sure they're in good hands. Did he feel like he couldn't appropriately manage his own catalog? Or, that's, uh, or, guess, or does he see his own mortality? Because, I mean, like, he's he's not that old, is he? Is he even 40? Uh, he's like, I think he's over 40, like, but he may be like 42 or something. Like, it's just really, that just seems, he's 38 years old. 38? <laughs> he's 38. He'll be 39 in November. And he's already sold off the majority of his catalog. I mean, I, I, I think he's doing this feeling that he has more coming. And that's understandable. No, and I, I but, get it. I guess my concern has always been thinking back to Sir Mix-a-Lot. Granted, Sir Mix-a-Lot was a one-hit wonder. So I understand there's a huge difference here. But I think him talking about how he almost sold Baby Got Back for a high amount of money, but he said no, held on to the publishing, and now he's like, I'm making way more than I would have ever made selling it. And I feel like that's the long game. So, like, if you're Stevie Nicks, if you're Neil Young, you're, you're, you're about to die. You ain't got much longer. That makes sense. Your future you could potentially make money off of this music for the next 20 years. And and while you're making more music that people are going to gravitate <clears throat> to, uh, he said, like, I'm proud to partner up with Renee and the team at Influence Media, Influence Media and send a signal that this music has timeless value. But you just sold it. Yeah. My music is my art, and these songs represent some of the most precious artwork of my career. Now, a lot of people, um, you know, fans aside, look at Future as, you know, an innovator mm-hmm. um, and as a turning point in like kind of a new era of hip hop. So I understand that. Um, but it just it comes back to what you were just talking about. Were you not able to handle your publishing? Or is there an issue with holding on to it versus mm-hmm. selling it? Um, Did somebody make them sell it? <laughs> because people are going to use your songs in commercials and yeah. in movies. They can do whatever they want And there are they want multiple now. options. You know, Sir mm-hmm. Mix-a-Lot has one, and he's doing all right. Yeah, T-Pain has a few. I, I've heard low in a commercial for Kroger. So I, and I'm sure he made a lot of money off of that. So it, this makes me think about the video that you sent me about you know T Pain getting Neo's publishing, he wrote, oh, getting his check, check by accident, you know, <laughs> and you know skipping to the end here. Too long didn't read. T Pain's check was nine million dollars. Neo's was eight million dollars. 
I don't know over how much time, but like publishing is like can be a gold mine, especially if you've got a song that gets played a lot. Publishing yeah. is a gold mine. Like, why would you ever, ever want to let that go? Like, artists fight for publishing to get publishing. They literally will fight for that. I remember hearing the Dream talk about that, like being how he was upset when he first started out writing song, thinking he was going to get paid more. But then everyone starts putting their hand in the pot, changing things, yeah. and it's like your points Is keep that going the Beyonce down. Beyonce song. Uh, it was like <laughs> one of his first singles that he wrote. Like the his points just keep going down and down and down. And so you know, he's like, I got like one, maybe half a point on there, and it's just like you know, like publishing is valuable. Sixty four million dollars is a lot of money up front, but I just feel it, it feels short sighted. Um, so. Uh... Influence Media co-managing partner Lynn Hazan uh, had worked with Future at Epic Records. She says, we're excited about this partnership. It's a fitting addition to our growing repertoire of top-tier talent and promotes our forward-thinking mission. Now at Influence, it feels like fate to be able to collaborate with him again alongside my dynamic partners to protect his legacy and works. Mm. Um, and, then, and then it ends with it under music news. Kanye West has claimed his song catalog is being shopped around without his knowledge. Yeah, because he seems like someone who would not sell his catalog. No. I mean, like, he he would do it. He's going to do it. <laughs> not, he doesn't need anyone to do it for him. Yeah. He's going to do it. His, his like right catalog is very, his catalog is very valuable. Um, like, I mean, I, I 100, 150 million maybe? Maybe even two, because he's got some huge. He's put out some of the biggest just hits, period, of the last well, twenty years. Not even like with his music on his albums, yes, but also include the stuff that he has publishing or royalties on for artists that he's produced. produced. Yeah, he's done beats for. Yeah, it's so, it'd be huge. It'd be you know, I yeah, and it, it, I don't know if he maybe he just wants to protect it because if he's officially a billionaire. Does he need that money? What, at least from, not right now. From the selling of a catalog? From the selling of a catalog? No. He doesn't need that. At least feels, not right now. Yeah, that feels like a quick a money grab, and that's not what he needs. I mean, unless the Yeezy and Gap money dries up. But, I mean, even still, he has a he has good terms on his record contract. <laughs> um, and his music is amongst, you know, some of the most played, uh, from especially from a, a hip-hop standpoint, of the last 20 years, he gets a lot of airplay, radio play, streams, YouTube, stuff like that. Like, he's just fine, I, I would think. Unless, you know, he's out there just spending incredible amounts of money and, you know, yeah. Because <laughs> um, so, he's divorced now, right? Yeah, he's he trying to get her back. So is it like alimony, child support to North? <laughs> I don't know. You know, they might try to take him all he's got, you know. All right, so last story real quick. Um, the Super Bowl halftime show, which uh, won three creative Emmys, uh, is now going to be, it was produced by Pepsi, now will be produced by Apple Music. And despite speculation that the artist would be Taylor Swift, which is just the featured halftime show artist will be none other than Rihanna. That was just mind blowing. Who like I saw it and I was like, "There's no way she would do this. Taylor Swift would never do this." 
No. Rihanna, I, I'm anxious. I'm excited to see it. She hasn't put out music in, it feels like, a, a while. Uh, Her last album was five years ago. Cause people was it Anti, like, the last album? Um, What was the last one? With Work and... Yeah, Anti. Wow. That's 2016. So she's waiting. Oh yeah, with lots of anxiety. No, nah, she's making makeup, album. bro. She don't want. <laughs> she's making makeup and lingerie and pajamas, and now she's raising a kid. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> I don't need. She's, you know, she's a billionaire already. What I don't need, need to, to make, make music, music for. Her right yeah, now. I don't need to. So go listen. Uh, to, go listen to work. <laughs> there were some. There were some uh, things like. Uh, she's making a reggae album, and but she just wants to get the writers together. She has like several writers camps. Whatever that means. Um, Interesting. Interesting. But that is, we haven't heard a thing, not a demo, mm. not a note about anything reggae related. So, uh, and, and a lot of times, you know, re- in recent memory, that when there is a, with the halftime show, there's some new music coming. Uh, like with Dr. Dre last year, he had some new music. It wasn't detox, Mm-mm. but nah. it was something new. <laughs> he had some new things. Really, it was, we still, it's never coming. That yeah, album's yeah. never coming. We waited 20 years ago. We got Compton. That's all. Yeah. That's what we're going to get. <laughs> um, you know, and with uh, with previous art, you know, where with this Maroon 5, they had a new album coming out. Katy Perry just put out had just put out a new album, I believe. Same with so the weekend, yeah. The weekend had, had just put out a new album, so maybe. Okay, that's a good point. Could be, but I, I, I don't know. She she out here doing all this other stuff. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, there's a there's enough material for a set. It almost seems like now she's a mogul that used to do music. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I used to be a musician back in the day. <laughs> Why did that make me think of Mark Wahlberg? <laughs> He's an actor who used to be a rapper. Uh, yeah, I guess at what point does your second act outshine your first? <laughs> Enough where people like have no idea. It's like, what do you mean good vibrations with the Beach Boys? No, no. Someone, Donnie D on the track. <laughs> I basically, I Someone has made a TikTok video. Did you know no. that Mark Wahlberg was a rapper? Then I'll feel old. <laughs> then I'll feel old if they say that. <laughs> and they'll say just like did you know Transformer star Mark Wahlberg used to be a rapper <laughs> and his brother was in the new kids on the block <laughs> no they had to present like cause they, they gotta make it extra to make it seem like this is new information that you should and his older brother was part of New Kids on the Block, one of the greatest selling boy bands of all time back in the late 1900s. <laughs> and he was in the Sixth Sense. <laughs> um, oh God! So it should be should be fun. The Super Bowl halftime show presented by Apple Music. So I know it's early. Guests. Who do you think? Who do you think she brings? Um, I think she brings Drake. Oh no! <laughs> you think so? No. Oh god! No. You no. No one to Drake. Get I can tell you who it's not going to be. 
It's not going to be Chris Brown. It's not going to be Drake. ASAP Rocky will be sitting in a suite at the stadium. Uh, could be. Did did they ever do? Did they ever do a song together? Her and Chris Brown. Yeah. What song did. did they do together? Uh, I think it's called like Nobody's Business or something. You know what's crazy? If he never hit her, I think he would have done the Super Bowl by now. He was getting to that level. Mm, I think Eminem might be might be there. You think so? Oh, love, love the way you lie. lie. Mm. Uh, Nicki Minaj will not be there. They're they're not. I don't think they're cool. Uh, Calvin Harris. That would be. You, you know what's crazy though? Calvin Harris and DJ Khaled. Have we not had just the? Because Calvin Harris has had has basically worked with a lot of big artists. You could put together a set just based on him with his equipment, have a couple of artists come out. Same thing with DJ Khaled. Like, how have we not gotten that? Because, like, I feel like if Calvin Harris is coming, you got to bring, like, maybe Migos. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, some of the bigger songs he's done. Do you kind of have Frank Ocean come out? And I, I don't know, but, like, because, like, if Calvin, like, the, what she did, um, This Is What You Came For. With Calvin Harris. And um, We Found we Love. We Found Love. Yeah. Those are going to be in. Those are yeah. Those are. But do you bring him out for that? I think so. I think that's a good. That's a good call. Um, maybe, maybe future. They did a song together. Um, if they she does talk that talk, then we'll get Jay Z. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what's another. If yeah. she does the song hard with Jeezy, probably not. That probably won't be in there. Yeah, Jeezy's not a big enough name. That wasn't a big enough song, I don't think. Um, How far back in the catalog do you think she goes? Do you think oh, we're going to hear Pond the Replay? You're going to hear Pond the Replay? All the way back to Pond the Replay. Will it be like where they have them, like, as the artist is kind of they're building up the hype, they're playing all, like, snippets of all the songs, and they kind of end oh, with um, the reverb? Umbrella's in the same. Oh, yeah. Oh, so Jay-Z then. Has then Jay-Z show. will be there. Yeah. I think he'll be there. You know what? I think he introduces her. That might be the first song. Yeah. I think he comes out and introduces her, and then she comes. Oh, oh, oh. Get Bruckheimer on the phone. We got this. Is the, this is the show. This has to be the show. <laughs> uh, what, what else could we? Oh, man. Okay, if we go back to Good Girl Going Bad. Um. <clears throat> uh, that could be that could be it right there. If it's not Jay Z, then probably someone like Neo might be there, who's written a couple of her songs. Um, I feel like the set will end with Diamonds. Ooh, uh, kind of like Katy Perry's did with um, Firework. Yeah, That's the, or maybe okay. Princess of China. So we'll get Coldplay. They get another oh, chance. Love. Gotta love that song. Um, so there there are a lot of options. I would love. Or she for doesn't it to have end. to have new music. I would love for it to end with Diamond, and maybe you have Sia come out and play piano. I'm getting extra here. I would like to see that though. <laughs> uh, a wild card, another possibility. They do Lemon. Pharrell comes so you out. See Pharrell come out there. Okay. There's some options here. There's some options here. Yeah. So we don't. I just said we commonly see, commonly see new music, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, before we get to the charts, we'll go to our cover song of the week. And uh, I didn't pick one last time, 
uh, so will I pick one this time? I go ahead. Know. Yeah, go ahead, dude. Okay. So um, this was from a, a playlist I was working on for a um, just another playlist. Basically. <laughs> uh, and now I lost it. Uh, give me just a second to find that playlist again. There we go. And um, where's the song? There it is. Okay. So um, this is, I, I may have had him as an earworm before. <clears throat> Maybe I'm not sure. But it's a duo called Secret Rendezvous. They're from Amsterdam. Um, but they do R&B, basically. And they did a cover of a song that uh, we covered the uh, songwriter, and that is Norman Whitfield's Wishing mm. on a Star. So they have a cover of that, and we're going to play that, and we'll be right back. I'm wishing on a star to follow That is Wishing on a Star by Secret Rendezvous. I dig it. I dig it. And um, there's still no playlist for this segment. (laughs) (laughs) So um, eventually we'll get to it. But uh, yeah, and they're, um, let me check again. I believe they're from the Netherlands. Yeah, they're from Amsterdam. Okay. but I, I've been following their music for uh, for a long time. So Secret Rendezvous, y'all should check them out. Um, their original stuff. <laughs> um, there is a. Uh, let's look at the score of the as we're recording. The Broncos and 49ers are playing. The score is ten to five. I'm like, how did that happen? Is this a baseball game? <laughs> um, or it's also kind of like a CFL game. They have a lot of, like, they get one point for something that you don't even have to kick or <laughs> cross the end zone. Or it, it's They have some weird scoring there, too, compared to American football. But anyway, 
uh, let's get to the charts. Um, I know we've been out for a few weeks, but one song that is, it, it, it was number one. We mentioned before on an episode and then it kind of fell a couple spots, but now it's number one again, as it was by Harry Styles. Number one, once again, uh, moving up bad habit by Steve Lacey. <laughs> I saw your text about, um, Lori saying it's probably going to win uh, yeah. song of the year. You, you going to take that bet? <sighs> Let me go back and listen to it again just to see. Because there's certain things I feel like you have to have. I, I want to listen to see if it has those things, and then I'll take that bet. We'll see. <laughs> uh, number three, Super Freaky Girl by Nicki Minaj. I don't like that song. I heard it a couple TikTok, times. TikTok. I'm telling you, man, it is TikTok. It's, it's kind of dumb, y'all. It's very dumb. It's horrible. It, it's like TikTok. it's the same format as uh, Anaconda. Let's take a song popular in the 90s, in which actually she took a song that was popular in the 80s that was then sampled in the 90s. Um, and hey, yeah, she found what works. It's, it's, it's horrible to listen to. Yeah. But she found what works. Uh, yeah, clearly. It's, it's not. That song's not good. Um, number four, the song of a song of the summer. Mm. Sunroof by Nick Yore and Daisy. Uh, this is I heard this on the on the radio a lot. Uh, I would always catch it like halfway through. I don't. This is another <laughs> but, one of those songs I feel like if you played it at a concert, they're gonna know the chorus and nothing else. Yeah, because no one's listening to this song. Number five, I like you, a happier song. Post Malone featuring Doja Cat. He's uh, nursing some broken ribs at the moment. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah, that, 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 painful. that hurt. Oof, yeah. That hurt. Um, number six, I don't think we've ever mentioned one of his songs in the top ten. I don't think so either. You Proof by Morgan Wallen. Uh, I don't think we've ever mentioned a song of his on the top ten of the Billboard 100. Oh, he's got a new album coming. Huh. Okay. What if he's the special guest at the Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, Ooh. that would complete his redemption arc, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Number geez. seven, "About Damn Time" by Lizzo, the song I could not escape. Um, number eight, "I Ain't Worried" by One Republic. Um, oh, it's been on the charts for a while. Okay. Uh, number nine, Late Night Talking, which I always seem to catch the end of the song on the radio by Harry Styles. Uh, it was number three last week. And number 10, Wait For You by Future, featuring Drake and Tim's. Um, I, well, well, this isn't part of the sale of the catalog, mm-hmm. so... This will this will be the foundation for the next part of the catalog <laughs> that he won't sell for another fifteen to twenty years. Uh, let's go to the Billboard two hundred, which are the albums, the top albums. Um, here we go. Uh, this may be the album of the summer, and you don't want it to be. <laughs> Un Verano Sinti by Bad Bunny, still number one. 
debuting at number two, Demons Protected by Angels by Nav. I know that he's a TikTok favorite, I believe. Uh, number three, debuting at number three, Patient Number Nine yeah. by Ozzy Osbourne. Is that the first time we've said an album by him on this I, podcast? I feel like it is. <laughs> so uh, he debuts at number three. Number four, and it was number two last week, Dangerous, the double album. It has broken the record <laughs> for consecutive weeks inside the top ten for an album. By a solo artist. By a solo artist, yes. By a solo artist. Uh, I believe for overall it was. Um, I feel like it's Pink Floyd or the Eagles. I, sh- I feel I, like. Yeah, it was a it was a band. Um, I can't remember. Exactly. I read the article, but uh, but for a solo artist, he he <clears throat> broke Adele's record. Number five, debuting at number five, "Different Man" by Kane Brown. Okay. Is Nelly on the album? I just feel like <laughs> Nelly's on there somewhere. <laughs> Uh, number six, Realer by Youngboy NBA. Uh, it debuted at number six. Oh, excuse me. It debuted at number 71 last week, but now it's moved up to number six. I think people just found out, oh, he's got a new album. I think his his albums normally uh, get into the top ten uh, once they first come out. Number seven, Harry's House by Harry Styles. Number eight, Renaissance by Beyonce. Number nine, Beautiful Mind by Rod Wave. And debuting at number 10, <clears throat> Life, spelled with a Y, by Yeet. Yeah, okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, All right. <laughs> so let's get to the Artist 100 and number one this week. He was number one last week. Bad Bunny. Uh, he's taking over the world, man. Um, I know. I, I I don't think it's even really been mentioned after his performance at the VMAs. Uh, he won Artist of the Year, and uh, during his performance, he kissed a female backup dancer and then kissed a male backup dancer. But because he's he doesn't do speak Madonna? English, no, I don't think anyone really cares about it. He's trying to do Madonna, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Re-entering the chart because new music—that's one of the one of the rules, unofficial rules. Ozzy Osbourne, who has only been ranked six weeks on this chart ever, but <laughs> unranked last week, up to number two at seventy-three years old and still putting out music. Yeah, number three, Morgan Wallen. We will be doing an episode about Dangerous, the double album. Yeah, we, we got to work out the details, yeah. but it's, it's coming. <laughs> Number four, Harry Styles. Uh, also reentering the chart after being unranked. Nav is number five. Number six, Kane Brown. Number seven, Luke Combs. Number eight, The Weeknd. Number nine, Doja Cat. And number 10, Lil Baby, uh, who has just put out a song... Uh, it's kind of a, a remake of Everybody Wants to Rule the World with Tears for Fears uh, for um, the World Cup. It's a World Cup. Theme. Little Baby? Little Baby featuring Tears for Fears. 2022, baby. <laughs> Let's go. I'm going to check that out. That is wild. That is wild. Okay. I don't even like Little Baby, but I'll check that out. Mm. Uh, 
So uh, look out for that. Oops. <laughs> uh, so that'll do it for the charts and for the music news. So Ben, tell us about your earworm of the week. Uh, throwback, very old song. Uh, my sister bought this CD when I was probably in middle school. But um, super group, LSG, Levert, Sweat, and Gill, <laughs> and Johnny Gill. Um, I don't think this was a single, but it had a lot of people featured on it. It was like LSG featuring Faith Evans, Coco, and Missy. Yeah. Like you would think with that kind of firepower, you make that a single, but they didn't. But regardless, it's my, it's my favorite song off of that album. It's called All the Times. It's kind of a slow jam. Um, it's a great song. I Yeah, just I love it. I love it. All right, so this is All the Times by LSG featuring Faith Evans, Coco, and Missy. And we'll be right back. Times by LSG featuring Faith Evans, Coco, and Missy Elliott. 
I wasn't aware of the title of this song. It's like, oh, I heard this song. I thought it was a Gerald Levert song. Yep. That's what I thought. Of, that's why I wasn't you know, thrown off by it. I thought it was a Gerald Levert song. Um, so, yeah. Um, that's from their their first album, uh, Levert Sweat Gill. That they made, they made like two or three, right? I don't remember. They made two. So my sister was... Who's a big R and B fan? She was heavy into that album because it had what um, "My Body" and "Curious." Yeah, were the two big singles. Um, yeah, "Curious" was kind of fun. They had what well, LL Cool J was on that one, right? Yeah, "Curious," Busta okay. Rhymes, and Lil Kim. Yeah, they had some. They had some good like guest artists on their album. But I mean, when you're like you know when you're a super group, you can do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah, uh, you can find that on our BTTYHT Earworms playlist on Spotify right now. So we started this particular episode with the song uh, Through the Fire by Shaka Khan. And one of the songwriters and producers of that song is David Foster. Excuse me. <clears throat> the there you David go. Foster. There you go. We've referred to him as oh, the David man. Foster through the entirety of this podcast. So um, there's a documentary I found on Netflix called Off the Record, and we're going to talk about it. So uh, let's get into it. <laughs> um, like I said, this is on Netflix, and uh, man, this it's a what roller, did he it's a roller coaster. I will say this. He set the tone for his own documentary at the very beginning. Oh, oh. He set the oh, tone. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> so, all right. So, first off, from the description of the documentary, former child prodigy. See? <laughs> you know he wrote that description. <laughs> and then he says, I'm going to be over your shoulder the whole fucking way. Set he sets the, the tone. tone. My God. It felt like a roller coaster. Um and he got all the all the heavy hitters to speak on to speak on hit their experience. A former with president. Him. Former president. <laughs> got Quincy Jones, Michael Buble, Celine Dion, Lionel Richie, Josh Groban, Kristen Chenoweth. Like all within the first Diane minute, Warren, minutes. Carol Bayer Sager, uh So you just call them up. Like and you're doing this. <laughs> Um, so this is, this, like, compared to, um, the Allman Brothers one we talked about, this one is off the rise. <laughs> boy, oh boy, that, that Allman Brothers one was just poor. It's poor quality. Um, so yeah, this one was definitely authorized. And, uh, I mean, if it's a documentary about you, you're supposed to be the star of this show. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But for it just jumped out at me that he set the tone at the very beginning. So uh, that was, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, me too. Um, so it kind of starts off with um, talking about a possible David Foster musical. And it's really the main thing he hasn't done in music. He's done scores he's and soundtracks. He's worked with a lot of different artists, um, put on shows, as far as like award performed on award shows, um, he's had number one hits. He's had 
He's won a bunch of awards, of course, you know, with the Hired Gun documentary. He had all his Grammys on the, on the mm. piano. Um, so it's like they never leave. Because <laughs> <laughs> someone asked him like, early in the documentary, like, because he wants to win a Tony. He, he wants to get EGOT the EGOT. He bad. wants the EGOT. He yeah. wants it bad. He's like, is there room for a Tony? He's like, of course there is. <laughs> he <wants laughs> He'll to... make room. He'll yeah. make room for it. Buy a bigger piano. <laughs> um. Uh, so I, I thought that a, a David Foster musical, if it was a jukebox musical, it would be huge. If it was all new music, I think it would still be huge. I think a jukebox a musical would probably break records. Yeah. Like looking at all of the, like if if his entire catalog is game. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> like you've got some of the biggest songs literally of all time. Yeah, the biggest artists of all time. Um, it he'd be one of those producer writers that you're like, no, he didn't do all of these. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be like, no, there's no way. Like all of these are by one person. No way. Yeah, yeah, he did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it would be big either way. Um, and I agree with Kristen Chenoweth. He's long overdue. Yeah, to do a musical. So. Whenever it happens, I don't know if it's happened yet, but whenever it is, I think it's going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, setting the tone, he did he did the score for his own documentary. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought that was, that was interesting. Um, what do you think of what the story he told, where his dad said, "Oh, this boy has perfect pitch." How did he know it was an E? <laughs> like, you know, like, what you hear, you can re-sing it, but you just know it's an E. What training did you have to know that that was an E? Which I think he sort of somewhat addresses that, you know, he had been going to a music school. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like, um, like you know, all in all honesty, my brother-in-law has perfect pitch. I've known, you know, a few people in my life who have perfect pitch. And not saying that it is not amazing, but it feels like it's something that people like to pull out to be like, this person has credibility. Like people brag. I like I feel like people brag for Charlie Puth on his behalf that he has perfect pitch. And I think you know, if if David Foster existed back then and 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 we had um, social media, he'd probably do it. And maybe his maybe he'd bring his father on there. I don't know, but I don't know. That was just kind of funny. He's like, he plays a note like, oh, that's an E. I, I just want to know like how how you knew. <laughs> that that was my one question. Like, how'd you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, I, 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 like that was kind of a a weird story. So with him uh, playing instrument, playing all different kinds of instruments, doing a lot of internships, uh, if you will, different programs. Um, he gets hired to be a part of a band, and then he gets fired from that band because <laughs> they think he's too good. Because <laughs> he's too good. Yes. Um. I, I did not like that he was inspired by the Beatles. The Beatles. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, uh, Ben might have an issue with that one. That was one of the many. There are a lot of FUs said throughout this documentary. I think <laughs> that, that was, was the first. <laughs> um, yeah. What do you think of the, the, the time in London? It, like, he's Canadian. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's I trying to live. I didn't know that. <laughs> I thought he was trying to live in everywhere but America to make it. Yeah, 
he lived in Toronto. He lived in Vancouver. He lived in Edmonton. He lived in London. I thought it was interesting. So I think around this, this is around the time that I started to um, say that he's very self-aware. Mm-hmm. So like he's huge ego, very arrogant, but he's self-aware. And I think his time in London, because I think that was around the time they were playing for Chuck Berry, right? Yeah. Didn't speak kindly about Chuck Berry <laughs> at all. But I think he also understood, too, that, like, I, I I have to find my own lane. I'm not, this isn't what I can do. And I think that's a very honest, you know, because he could have continued to shit on Chuck Berry. He definitely said, like, Chuck Berry would show up, play his guitar out of tune and just, you know, but I couldn't play his music the right way. I wasn't a good fit. Um, and I think being in London helped him kind of learn what kind of musician that he was. And I think that helped him better adjust when he came to America and goes out to L.A. and becomes a session musician, which is hard work. Yeah, it took, uh, but like I said, it just took a while for him to to get to that point to get to L.A. Um, like maybe you should, you know, live in one of those places mm-hmm. if you're trying to make it in music. Um, so you're talking about with his, with his father, uh, he had a good relationship with his father up to a point. Yeah. Um, but what do you think of the, of the conversation where his dad just simply asked him, do you think you can make it? He's like, yeah, I think you can make it. Yeah. He's like, I was making more than my father. (laughs) And yeah, it, it, I don't know. It seems so in addition to being self-aware, admitting that he made a selfish decision, I think he's probably leaving stuff out of Mm -hmm. those conversations. Cause like you said, that just seems a little too simple. Like you think you can make it. Yeah. Good talk, son. (laughs) (laughs) Like there was no like, hey, maybe you you know, um, work hard in school and get good grades in case you need something to fall back on, David. None of that, none of that. Yeah, maybe learn a trade, David, just in case <laughs> this music thing don't work out. But he said he just all he, I knew I was gonna make it. I knew I was gonna make it. I don't know. I felt like that kind of just went to his personality though. Yeah. Ultimate uh, person, uh, ultimate confidence in himself. Um. What did you think of him where after his, his father passed and basically he just left his mom and sisters? Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, a very, once again, a very self-aware observation from him. He said, like, you know, the, the unselfish thing would have been to stay there and help, you know, run this family. But I made the selfish decision to leave. He goes out. He becomes successful. And then he starts sending money back. So I guess it was one of those things where um, he felt he had to do it. And in retrospect, I guess it was the, the good thing to do. Because if he doesn't leave, he doesn't get that ability. Excuse me. He doesn't have that ability to make something of himself, to get in rooms with these musicians that fi- where he finally gets his big break. You know, maybe we don't see David Foster. If, uh, we don't know who David Foster is if he decides to stay and just, you know, play father our father figure, so to speak. So, I mean, as painful as it probably felt in the moment, ultimately it worked. You know, he gets in the room with, with the right people, impresses Barbara Streisand, and the rest is history. So uh, up to this point, um, when he works with Barbara Streisand on the song Somewhere, um, the way he described her reaction to the song 
It reminded me of Kanye. <laughs> he has a lot of Kanye. Well, I guess Kanye has a lot of David in him because yeah. I killed it. <laughs> he goes, well, I said, in all modesty, I killed it. <laughs> I was just like, there it goes. There it goes. <laughs> she wanted like, so I wanted to sound out of this world, but you can't use an orchestra, only synthesizers. What was what was Babs on, man? Like, what was <laughs> was she on drugs? Because he said so. That was funny too. She might have because he made it seem like everyone used drugs around but him, him, but him. Because I was, I was like, has he ever used drugs? And then, like, <laughs> as I thought that that scene came up, he's like, I thought they were just letting me go and play, and I didn't know they were going out to do drugs. <laughs> I was like, oh, everyone but you, David. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never touched um, him in my life. <laughs> oh, modesty. <laughs> I killed it. <laughs> oh, my God. That might be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> He's, I just, it was just so funny, but it was like that confidence. Because um, only a person with that level of confidence would basically be like, I hoped that she was in the booth. I kept playing, hoping she'd hear it. And. That's that confidence. Like, he had so much confidence in himself. If no one else was confident in him, he would be confident in himself. <laughs> and he killed it. <laughs> um, it didn't, the story didn't fit, but it was still funny to me, yeah. was with Jennifer Holiday. Yeah, what was that, man? <laughs> I only sing it I only one sing time. It once. Like, okay. And that shows, does he not know, like, how hard that song is? And the person who originated that number, who's like, you associate that song with her, she's only going to sing it once. So I thought that was interesting, and I wish he would have expounded upon that because um, what I got from this early on is that he pushes singers. Yeah. he's a. They said that he he's a great vocal producer, which really made me think about that, and I'm, I'm pro- I'll probably make a list of, like, producers I feel – who get the best vocals, not just from a sound standpoint, but a performance standpoint, because I think that's underrated for producers. But he pushes, I think he pushes singers, and I think he was just used to kind of being able to do that. Well, they and weren't she was ready. Like, nope. <laughs> Apparently they weren't yeah, ready they were just checking to record. Levels. Yeah. So that's that's his fault. He's like, we got the levels. <laughs> and, because, the like, <laughs> and because it becomes a, a thing with the other artists that he's worked with to where there are multiple takes. Yeah. And, like, what are you – I understand if you're a perfectionist, but if you're not really paying attention on the first take and now they're doing seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. twenty, twenty-one takes, it's like what are you – what are you listening for? Is it, like – I feel like kind of some OCD a little bit. So I, I think there's a little bit of OCD, a little bit of control, but also his ear seems extremely fine-tuned. To where he can, he's like, he would, they end the phrase like, that wasn't too bad. You're a little flat on that. And he would name the note. I'm like, okay, he's literally listening to, you know, because you didn't, pitch correction was more difficult back then. You wanted to pitch correct. You have to slice the tape, speed it up a bit and slice it back in. So he's, I think he wanted, he wanted perfect vocals. Uh, that, that that part with uh, him doing the the Canadian We Are the, we world, are the world yeah. with Neil Young. Like, yeah, that's the <laughs> like, scene I'm thinking of. He's like, yeah. that's how I sing, man. Like, <laughs> that is how he sings. So <laughs> that's the best you're going to get. <laughs> James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> who, was, who was that? Uh, 
Sean Cullen. Okay. Yeah, that was... <laughs> Sean, if you ever, guys, if you ever get a chance, go look that up where he talks about different singers doing Bond themes. And I never the, got a chance. The Neil Young one was very funny. I like farms. Like, that was, that's great. It's just the perfect Neil Young. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he could just hear it. So, um, but I, I thought that was very funny, that scene. He's like, she just walks in with the dog and... <laughs> Sings it and picks up the dog and just leaves. <laughs> and I felt like he probably felt so small in that moment because he was, he talks about later how he's just, he's used to having control over everything. He probably felt like, oh, damn, like, what I do now? <laughs> hope that, I hope that take was good. <laughs> um, uh, so after that, he has the run with Earth, Wind, Fire. Uh, yeah. Doing uh, In the Stone, After the Love is Gone. Talked about uh, playing that song for Barry Gordy. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. It's like I just walked over to the piano, sat down, and this is what came out. And that's just like, he makes everything sound like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> a, a couple of other times later on he in the documentary, it sound like, you it's know, a movie. It's like a mo- straight out of a movie scene. It's down my last out. Like he just <laughs> <laughs> At this point, too, I noticed, I was like, this feels very nonlinear. Like they're just he's just riffing at this point about yeah. things um, because the the because um, uh, right after that I I knew they're about to get into it when dudes from Chicago sat down they did like, not seem happy Greg I thought back to our podcast about when they that said doc. are we doing an interview about Chicago or about David Foster I'm like oh here we go. Here and the guy go. tried to come I was like, well, I mean, let's just let him ask the questions. I thought old boy on the the, the um on the left was gonna leave. <laughs> like he still has trauma <laughs> thirty years later. I'm like, still uh, I'm still not okay, boy, bro. Here we go. Still man. not okay. They're like, come on, just just stay. Just stay. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> and a lot of that with that with that section, um, well, one I wanted to say with with the Earth, Wind, and Fire, I I thought it was interesting that, um, I guess not a lot of credit is given to him for those songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear more associated with Celine Dion mm-hmm. and Michael Bublé, you know, some of the stuff that's a little more recent, not and a little bit with Chicago, but not really with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Mm-hmm. Those people like maybe realize, hey, he was. He was working with them on those songs. Yeah. Um, but working with Chicago, part of it is this could happen when you're a fan and you have an opportunity to work with them <clears throat> because what he was doing, and he admitted it, he was trying to get them to make an album of what he thought they should sound yeah. like. This is what Not I think really the ideal Chicago with, record is. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like with the episode we did about now Rogers and Bernard Edwards. You know, they would go to Sister Sledge, give them a song sheet. is like, here, sing this. Yeah. But then when they worked with Diana Ross, they actually sat down and have a They had a conversation with Sister Sledge and they, you know, uh, like, oh, they're a close family. And then they end up re- writing We Are Family. Mm-hmm. But they were more. They were, but then uh, later on, it was like here, seeing this, and then with Diana Ross, they had the conversation with her to see where she's at with her career. Uh, uh, who other producers who do that? Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis did that. Yeah. Uh, Rick Rubin still does it, where to where that's that's really what he does as far as producing because he doesn't really do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Takes notes, <laughs> but. Um, 
you know, he didn't he didn't really talk with them Mm-mm. about where they wanted to go. It's like they had demos like, oh, this is mediocre. Yeah. And, well, I think but, he said to them, this is mediocre. Yeah. And he probably said this is absolute trash. He was like, <laughs> these songs are awful. They're not good. <laughs> and uh, but then he hits it off with Peter Cetera. And there was, this is where it was kind of nonlinear because the songs with Hard to Say I'm Sorry was before You're the Inspiration. Yeah. So the timeline was off a little bit, but the the points remain um, that uh, – and at one point, like I said, where he, he was trying to make an album of what he thought they should sound mm-hmm. like, he was saying they had lost their way. I'm like, see? Mm-hmm. Like – <laughs> his ego was on full display working oh, yeah. with Chicago, man. Oh yeah. Uh he killed the horns. Cause now these guys are trying to play keyboard like yeah. and it's awkward. It's like this is this isn't what we do yeah. with this. So trauma all over again. But in the end though, you know he's not apologizing about all no, that. No, no. Because he said they're eating off of these they're albums. They're still eating off those albums. He's like, You kidding me? I made you famous again. <laughs> I made you stars. I brought Chicago into the 80s. I probably got you in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I made Peter Shatera. I th- I bet he thinks that. Oh, oh, for sure. I made, I, he probably thinks I discovered Peter Shatera. It's like, he was already in the band, but I discovered him. I told him he should go solo. And guess what? He did. Oh, God. <laughs> I just remembered that from their from their documentary though. Like they just they were not fond of what happened. And granted, you know, a lot of success, a lot of money, but like Yeah, he's like and he's and he said it. it and and that's what he's leaning on, is like it's their most their most successful albums as yeah. far as sales. Like instead of seven, selling fifty thousand, they're gonna sell seven million. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Um <laughs> But it's like you don't feel good about it. <laughs> feel good. I'm sure Danny Foster felt great about it. He feels great. Chicago, they don't. not so much. Yeah, Chicago is not happy. They're no. begrudgingly still performing those songs on tour. Yeah, because you can't, you can't not. It's not like you could say the <laughs> album flopped and you just can ignore the the songs. It's like, yeah, these are the biggest songs of your career, like ever. <laughs> yeah, like this is what people like. They didn't even know you had horns. <laughs> <laughs> Like this, is the same band that did twenty five or six to four. Are are you sure? <laughs> I mean, it's the same logo and everything, but I I don't hear the same. Sound like them. I don't. I don't hear. I don't hear the bass player singing. I don't hear. <laughs> I don't hear any horns. Oh god! I hear keyboards, man. Um, oh man, that's funny. The Natalie Cole unforgettable album. Didn't know he did that one either. Some nice surprises. I I well I read that he did it. Um, it's the first album really of its kind. It's like those the virtual duets. Mm-hmm. It's like such a normal thing now to where like I, I probably said this on a couple of episodes, where it seems like every new hip hop album that's coming out, somebody has a song with Juice World. Mm-hmm. Uh or XXX. Uh so uh this is kind of where that started with the virtual duet. And it was put together in a way where, you know, Natalie Cole said it felt like he was singing over my shoulder. It was a, be- that was a beautiful moment. singing over his shoulder. So, yeah. It was a beautiful moment, but it felt like in typical David Foster fashion, he was like, I produced the shit out of that song. <laughs> like, in she- all modesty, I killed that too. 
<laughs> like he just had this like I you know this is what she wanted and I just went in there and I did it you know she was like can you do it like do you know who I am I'm David um, Foster I really feel like there was a moment where he's like I'm producing the hell out of this I am David Foster <laughs> there is nothing I can't produce <laughs> Oh man! Get out of the way! I got, I got this! I got this! Um, and they briefly touched on, uh, <laughs> oh god, unbreak my heart. David Foster and Diane Warren. It just sounds name a better duo. Absurd. Yeah, that is an absurd combination. It almost sounds like it's unfair. <laughs> it, it, it does. <laughs> it sounds unfair, but you'll never get too much of that because they're both they're already expensive individually. Yeah, but to put it together. You spending at least five million just to get a song from like they're they're and that was around the time they were both in their lanes yeah. in their bags. Oh yeah, like they were, you know, this this the the yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, uh, Shaq over here, and uh, Prime Kobe is mm-hmm. over here. <laughs> Uh, so they're yeah. the second of the three Pete, the second win of the three Pete. <laughs> we all know they're repeating next year. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was definitely an unfair combination. I don't know how much was spent on that to just to get that song, but man. Um, so of course he had a drug. He didn't do drugs, but he had a drug. That drug was called women. Oh yes. I so I felt this is kind of where. I, I put he's a runner, he's a track star. <laughs> <laughs> um, it it kind of I don't want to say it ground to a halt because it felt breakneck until it got there. Yeah, and then he starts just talking about like I just you know when things got hard I ran. <laughs> I'm like yo, that's it's kind of you're a bad father. But then they all say he wasn't a bad father. I'm like, but it sounded like just a minute ago he was. Y'all are like living in here with like houses well, with well, no Well, do you heat. know what they didn't? They didn't not say that he was a bad husband. So yeah. he was at least that. Like y'all complaining <laughs> like we're living in a house with no heat, and here he is in Malibu in a mansion. I'm like that's kind of cold. <laughs> that's kind of. I want to stay in the mansion in Malibu. <laughs> well, you're not my family right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have I'm I'm with them. You know, with them right now. Like that's yeah, that's that's rough. Yeah. <clears throat> I kind of felt bad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and he talked about how he was working and that um, he was just working all the time, hardly ever home. Yeah. His single mindedness got him where he was, where, where, or where he is. Yeah. His single focus. Um, but the drawback of having that single focus, it will hurt mm-hmm. your relationships. It is a um, single focus and nothing else. It, it hurts your relationship <laughs> with your, you know, your spouse and with your kids. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting that interesting enough that one of them became a songwriter uh, herself. <laughs> one of his daughters. That felt so cold. Like you got one number one, get another one. A bitch won't get another one. Like, <laughs> thanks, Dad. <laughs> Not even a congratulations. Yeah. Or, you know, that's exciting. Even if it was like bare minimum uh, congratulations. Yeah, none of that. He's <laughs> no. like, you know what's harder than getting a number one song? Getting two. Like and then own. after that, you can call me. You know what's harder than getting one Grammy? 
fucking 16. Like, dude, stop it. Stop it, David. <laughs> and what did he present? He's like, you know what's harder than getting a one number one hit? Getting two. And when you get two, you can call me. So is she writing a song for her father's attention? Basically. <laughs> when she gets that number two, you know what's harder than getting two? Getting Like, it's never ending. <laughs> And when you get three, call me. He's, <laughs> he hangs up. Hangs up. He's like, I'm helping her. I'm help- <laughs> this is parenting. <laughs> um, oh, God. So uh, we get to the bodyguard. and I always forget how much involvement he had with this album. Yeah. I, and how much Kevin Costner actually had yeah, involvement I, with no, the I soundtrack. No, I didn't know that because I knew he wanted, he, he chose the song that she was going to do. Yeah. I didn't know that much. Um, I think, yeah, there was going to be like some kind of cover no matter mm-hmm. what, uh, along with the original stuff. But made it look like Clive saved the soundtrack and the film. So, and, and I think this is why he gets respect to this day because he has this long track record. I don't think his, he's as sharp as he used to be, but clearly he knew what he was talking about here. <laughs> well, like they said, like no one knows Whitney better than think, Clive. Yeah, I guess he was the Whitney Whisperer. I did not, I did not know that. <laughs> That he was, they, they were that close. I didn't know that. That was interesting to find out. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, for those who haven't seen the documentary, not like it's like spoilers and stuff, it's already happened. But <laughs> basically, uh, for the soundtrack, Whitney was going to do the song What Becomes of the Broken Hearted, originally done by Jimmy Ruffin. They didn't particularly like the song because there wasn't a lot to it. And so, David Foster being a little extra. He wanted something bigger, and then Kevin Costner comes back with I Will Always Love You, written by Dolly Parton. David Foster just happens to have her number. <laughs> because <laughs> like, why not? We, and, then, and it wasn't like, hey, we'd like to do your one of your songs for the movie. It's like, song. we're doing your song. And I was like, oh, okay, David. <laughs> but I'm, she was like, okay, cool. That'll sound and great. I, I can't wait to hear the the this one part. Because they didn't have Dolly's version. Yeah. They had Linda Ronstadt's version, which didn't have the third verse. Uh, so that was that was important. Dolly, I, that's probably like you got to have that part in yeah. there. Are you, are you getting this song? <laughs> You're not getting this song, son. <laughs> um, and and then the way it was arranged, I, it was probably it was another moment where I felt like David Foster is like I'm producing the shit out of this. Song. Yeah, and Clive was like. <laughs> Not so fast. <laughs> like he did the, um, oh, God, um, from College Game Day. Oh, Lee Corso. Not, Not so, so fast, fast, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> the, he said the, the profanity and all the, and yeah. He was like, did not want the acapella opening. I don't think anyone could imagine it any other way now. Yeah, because I think, like, Kevin Costner said, like, we should do it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clive Davis, like, yeah. yeah, we should do it that way. Um and it was one of those, it's that single-minded thing where, you know. I know what's best. I know what's best. Like, will you listen for a second? <laughs> listen to how it sounds first. And it, yeah, like you said, like I, you can't hear it any other way. Yeah. Uh, any other way just sounds, it, it just doesn't sound right. But yeah. I give credit more to Clive Davis for he saving his the ground. film. Yeah. For standing his ground, and he saved the film and the soundtrack. Because the film might have flopped because there wasn't enough. Like, this was Whitney Houston's film debut. Yeah, her right? star moment, yeah. And, okay, she's a singer playing a singer. Uh, we need more 
establishment of her character as a singer. Yeah. So it was very important for those songs uh, to be in the film and to create those moments. Yeah. You know, to where eventually, uh, what was the song? Um, Wait, which one? I Have Nothing? Was it? Was it I Have Nothing that was nominated that for an Oscar? I don't remember if it was nominated for an Oscar. I know that's one that he wrote. One of them was because it was uh, Babyface was also on the song, mm-hmm. but then he wasn't credited as a writer, so he didn't. He wasn't part of the nomination. But I believe that was the, it. Was either that one or Queen of the Night that was nominated for an Oscar? It it was not for yeah. It was I Have Nothing, which is my. Favorite song from that soundtrack. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> let me see, was it, was it two songs? Uh, and Run To You was also nominated, but he wasn't uh, Run To You. I think he's just credited as a producer. He wasn't a co-writer on that. But um, I Have Nothing was nominated. So... With I, his then wife, Linda Thompson, who I don't think was interviewed. So I, I found it interesting, too, when he goes into this, once again, you know, building it up like a movie. This will be the most important project of your career. He said Clive Davis told him that. Do you think that was the most important project of his career? Because um, he had a lot of control on this album. You're working with the, one of the biggest stars and in the world at the time, you know. I think it was the album that was going to, I guess, bring him into the '90s. Like mm-hmm. working with Earth, Wind, Fire, kind of finished out the '70s, brought mm-hmm. him into the '80s. Then Chicago really brought him into the '80s. Um, you know, to where what was never mentioned was also his solo album, which was funny. But <laughs> uh, you know it. It was something to like keep him going or to take him to the next level because mm-hmm. it wasn't like um, at that point. Yeah, he's prolific. He's a he's a go to guy. But when Celine Dion says this is when the this is the greatest producer of all time, mm-hmm. he wasn't at that level yet. Uh, so I think it was it was uh, the one that kind of put him very close to that greatest producer of all time. Uh, level. Yeah. So I w- I would look at it that way. Because that was I mean that project was huge. Yeah, forty five million copies sold. And he has his his hands fingerprints all over it. <laughs> like that is the David Foster style. Yeah. Of production. Um, it's crazy. <laughs> so with him working, working, and working. Um. Uh, Michael Bolton, he's in the studio with Michael Bolton, made him stay till two in the morning. And then he <laughs> hits someone, thought he killed him, turns out to be the best thing that ever happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> turns out to be Ben Vereen that he hit, um, who survived the accident. Uh, and it was a blessing yeah. in disguise. He was had an aneurysm. They said well, he might have lasted another, what, seven to eight hours, something like that, they said. Or it might have been minutes. Yeah, um, like unless he had gotten hit and they found him and got him into the hospital and saved his life. So um, <laughs> he said that he called him up and said, this might be your greatest hit. 
Oh, God. I guess, hey, you can, you know, you can laugh at yourself, I guess. Um. So, yeah, that was uh, a little bit of a a turn, but I guess that, that gave him some perspective about life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still wrote down he has a special type of arrogance. Oh, yeah. To where <laughs> he's like, you're going to have the best vocal performance of your career or of your life. It was something like that. What he said to Celine. What he said to Celine or 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 how he approaches working with Yeah. I want to get uh, the best vocal you've ever produced. Yeah, with any yeah. with any vocalist. Yeah. So uh working with Celine Dion. Um that was those sessions <laughs> seemed mind blowing. He's like I gave her an impossible note to hit. And she hit it. <laughs> like, what do you, what do you, it's like damn okay yeah and it's you know give that woman her flowers man like he he pulled and that's when i was realizing like, he makes it he puts you through like vocal boot camp yeah um because he like he said damn it i'm gonna get the best vocal out of you <laughs> um yeah that was that was phenomenal and i think it was i don't know if it was her or maybe somebody else that it was on the first take, but she, that did she it hit again. the note. Yeah, she just it's like okay, now do it again. <laughs> it's like Nick Saban. <laughs> well, you heard I, that with uh, with the coaching staff with Alabama. Um, I can't remember which player said it, but after one of the national championships they won, um, one of the players was around the coaches. Uh, they get to en- they enjoy the championship for. 24 hours mm-hmm. and then it's back back to, to work <laughs> abc always be recruiting. um i just yeah i i i like so the footage of them in the studio and then the footage of a, a young celine dion just singing doing what she does best um and i just noted that he worked with the two biggest singers of that era you know, Whitney Houston was already a star. I th- I felt like he kind of helped break Celine Dion in English, yeah, yeah. In, in English-speaking parts of the world. Like, that's got to be, like, at that point, like, how do you not have an ego? Because, like, even though you didn't break Whitney Houston as a star, you gave her her biggest songs. Her bi- You produced her biggest album, her biggest works. Like, she was big. I made her bigger. Like, I imagine that's how he'd say it. Um. <laughs> uh. So after that, like I like I said, the extra takes. I like. Does he have OCD? Yeah, uh, I don't know. But like you said, the the fine tuned ear. Yeah, waiting for that the vocal performance to put it all together. Uh, so what do you think of his uh, introduction to Michael Bubble? <laughs> so, um, yeah, because yeah, because that was like an hour in, and I'm just like, what else is there to do? I didn't know about Michael Bublé. Um, I think this kind of shows his love of, of, of big band era jazz. Um, I used to give Michael Buble a hard time. I used to give my friend a hard time for listening to Michael Buble. He's a great singer, but he's just like, he just keeps finding these powerhouse vocalists, goes to a wedding, (laughs) which is like, you know, you got to think back before Michael Buble broke. That was kind of really the only place you'd see a singer like that. Yeah. (laughs) Is at a wedding? Um, and it's just like, he just realized like as a singer, with that style and that style of music, he knew that he was working at a disadvantage. (laughs) 
But somehow, like, David Foster just believed him in anyway. <laughs> just like, <laughs> and maybe it's his own hubris, but maybe he was just like, I can take any singer, any style, and make them big. <laughs> it's like, you know, that Canadian kid that sings Sinatra? Oh, yeah, I'm going to make him a platinum <laughs> Like, there's no way you can do it, David. There's no way you can do it. Oh, I can do it. Or my name isn't David Foster. <laughs> Got him signed and everything. He's like, he put his reputation on the line. I mean, it was it was cool. It was, once again, storybook, like a yeah. movie. He <laughs> um, said that's how he heard Celine Dion sing. It was like everything just slowed down and I had tunnel vision. That's how he saw Michael Buble. Yeah. Um, Hell of the, a performer, too. The uh, Quest for Camelot song um, that he ends up, he does the score for the movie, and he has Celine Dion and Andrea Bocelli, um, two of the biggest vocalists in the world, Yeah, uh, do the song together. He pieces it together, and Andrea Bocelli can't make the flight for the Grammys. <laughs> so he finds this 17-year-old named Josh Groban, it's like, oh, just found Josh Groban in a stack of tapes. A vocal he, he, coach was the fourth, he was the fourth demo tape. He was the fourth one. It's like, oh, this is the guy right here. <laughs> so that that was, um, and it was funny that with someone like Josh Groban being that aware of his voice, that he yeah, can't, can't hit those these, notes. Yeah, he I can't can. hit. He can't sing like Andrea Bocelli. Um, but David Foster believed he could. <laughs> Again, the ego of yeah. David Foster. I'm so good. I can make you sing higher. <laughs> <laughs> so he called he called back. He's like, "Okay, look, I'm not I'm not suggesting you come by. You're going, <laughs> going to, to come, come by the Shrine Auditorium to do this. Oh god. This is going to happen. Or if it was for the Oscars, whatever it was." It's but, um, he's like, "You you you're going to do this." Um and I think, I guess things kind of came full circle. I don't know if it was because of how he treated Celine Dion, but Celine Dion really helped Josh Groban with the performance. Mm-hmm. And he becomes a superstar yeah. literally overnight. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just. Yeah, that's yeah. just insane. Like, just, yeah, I guess to think of the ear for talent, because it's almost kind of like, you know. <laughs> Like, geez, this guy's so arrogant. But he just hit after hit after hit after he just keeps finding these diamonds in the rough. They're like, no way you can make Josh Groban a hit song. Like, just watch me. (laughs) It just does it. And it's like he wants to be there to play piano for them as he's kind of giving everyone the finger that said he couldn't. Just he's like, I told you I could do it. <laughs> just stands up there and bows with me. Yeah, I told you I could do it. Yeah, shut up. Told you. Shut up. Shut up. I told you. I'm David Foster. I told you. <laughs> um so uh that's as far as that's as far as I got with the film, but so there's some things with of course he'd been on reality TV with the uh the Princess of Malibu, Princess of Malibu Real, Housewives. Real Housewives. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, there was uh, there's a foundation that that he has uh, that that was in the towards mm-hmm. the end of the film. Uh, what was that about? So he helps um, he helps families who cannot afford organ transplants basically get organ transplants. So 
if the family lacks money, he helps get money raised for that foundation to where they pay for everything. You know, they'll pay for the operation. They'll put the family up in, in accommodations, everything. And um, I, th I think it's a, a very worthwhile cause. And just, you know, he's they say that he's not afraid to call on his celebrity friends. As we've kind of talked through here, this man has worked with like some heavy, heavy hitters and doesn't mind calling up Celine Dion, doesn't mind calling up Josh Groban, Michael Buble, um, Stevie Wonder. <clears throat> he doesn't mind calling up these folks to come and help him promote a cause and make some money. Um, and it doesn't seem fake. It seems very genuine um, with how much he cares and how important it is to him. Also, one thing they talk about too, which is weird. He's, he doesn't take elevators. Hmm. He does not. He will walk up like he is. I think it's a fear. He says he's as well, he it, it, he's it, walked it, it three million stairs in the very beginning. Uh, cause he talked about like, this is the first time I've been to New York and I kind of don't want to be here. Mm -hmm. And I think he said, I think it's the claustrophobia and all the buildings. So, it may be a claustrophobic mm, thing. I didn't pick up on with that. the elevators. Yeah, he he don't take them. He walked up the stairs. I thought that was interesting. Um, but no, he helps a lot of people. I thought it was awesome. Um, I did. I was. I well, I won't say I loved this documentary. Let me let me say that first. But I was disappointed at you know some of what was left out. But then I also thought, you know, this was a this was an hour and forty eight minute documentary. This is a pretty hefty one. You know, if you're putting in more, you probably cross the two-hour mark easily. You know. Yeah, because there were there were some moments that they didn't talk about, um, like in his, I guess the the disco era. Mm -hmm. um, he co-wrote "Got to Be Real" by Cheryl Lynn. Yeah. Um, so they throw that in there, like towards the end, the music, and I didn't. I was like, oh shit, he wrote this. Like <laughs> he co-wrote "It's the Falling in Love" by Michael Jackson from Off the Wall. Mm-hmm. Um, he co-wrote Morning by Al Jarreau. No, that's one of my mom's favorite songs. Okay. Uh, I, did they mention St. Elmo's Fire nope. at all? <laughs> See, they didn't mention that or the solo album. Nope. Um, the uh, song from The Karate Kid 2. Um, the, these work with Night Ranger, Mickey Howard, uh, Madonna. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. We played that at the beginning, of course, but yeah. Uh, Vanessa Williams. Um, Brandy in the nineties. Yeah. So there's, there's, uh, there's a lot that, I mean, they tried to hit the, the stuff and, you know, get all the basics and everything mm -hmm. and try to have a through line with a potential musical. Um, but this is one direction it could have gone, but he set the tone for it. So mm -hmm. he probably picked and chose whatever was going to be included. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, anything else you want to add about the about the doc? No, other than that, I think I've brought this up a little bit before, but like the term producer and how like it's means different things in different genres, and you know, calling you know calling Steve Lacey a producer versus you know a beat maker is he a beat maker? Is he a producer? How much? influence does he have a style does he have a this like how much influence do they have over the final product when they're not composing half of the final product because if you compose the music you're composing half of the final product you know we've heard david foster have incredible influence over a song 
he didn't write at all. Mm-hmm. He just came in, <laughs> produced it, maybe came up with an arrangement for strings or something, but like, but you know that it probably wouldn't have been as big if David Foster didn't have his hands all over it. And I think that is the the mark of a really, really good producer. When you can just come in, be given a song and elevate it. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's and he has a um and it's kind of a, a style that I don't know if there's any producer that even tries to do anything like that. So I, I noted that as well. Who would be a, who would even be a modern day David Foster? I think the closest we had might have been Babyface in the nineties. Yeah. But like nowadays, no no one for one no one really writes that type of music. But like And then also, you know, people are going to be cheap. Yeah. Like I said, I I well, I might I might be on the low end saying that a David Foster Diane Warren collaboration <laughs> will cost you five million dollars for one song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be more than that. Um, so yeah, you. It's hard to find it because people are wanting to be cheap. They want to find the the beats on SoundCloud for twenty bucks. Well, not to mention too, songs don't have intros anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean the songs are shorter. <laughs> Like and his the, songs the bridges have intro, are gone. intros and bridges and pre chords Yeah. <laughs> None like, of that. Like, just thinking about Unbreak My Heart, like, that has an intro. You know, yeah. she doesn't start singing for a while, you know? Sec- there's a B section, and, you know, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So that'll do it for our discussion on uh, David Foster off the record. Like I said, the documentary is on Netflix if you want to check it out. Um, so we'll get to my earworm of the week. Uh, the more I found out about this earworm of the week, it, like I said, I mentioned before, I had heard on 97, The River, 97.1, The River. And I, when I looked up the song, there is a connection to, if not Ben's favorite song, it's one of his favorite ever. <laughs> now I'm curious. I'm, 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 I'm listening. <laughs> All right. So... Ben, what would you say is your favorite song? Oh God, I don't know. There's so many. What genre? Or your your favorite '80s song? Oh God, probably the Warrior. Honestly. Okay. <laughs> the Warrior. <laughs> Shoot at the walls of heartache. The Warrior by Scandal. Hold on, wait, because you said your earworm was from listening to '97 on the River. Yes. Is this goodbye to you? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but the connection is <clears throat> one of the co-writers of the Warrior co-wrote this song. Oh. And uh, you can hear the similarities right away, honestly. But <laughs> uh, it's a song from a movie I I haven't seen, but I've heard a lot about called The Legend of Billie Jean. And it's a song called um, Invincible by Pat Benatar. Holly Knight is the songwriter I'm talking about, who also okay. co-wrote Love is a Battlefield. Uh, but when I heard this song, like it, it I thought of, the warrior. The warrior. <laughs> <laughs> it has it has uh, some similarities to the song. I was like, I think Ben would get a kick out of this when he hears it. <laughs> so let me uh, cue it up here. This is "Invincible" by Pat Benatar, and we'll be right back.
All right, that is Invincible by Pat Benatar. I didn't know that was in a movie soundtrack. Uh, from the album Seven the Hard Way, or the soundtrack for The Legend of Billie Jean. I read the plot for, like, kind of the synopsis of The Legend of Billie Jean. I'm mm-hmm. like, that movie sounds kind of <clears> dumb. <throat> but it's an 80s movie, so who cares? <laughs> Let me see this. Yeah, that sounds pretty stupid. <laughs> um, so you can find that on our BTTYHT Earworms of the Week playlist. So that'll bring us to the end of this episode. Um, yeah. Now, uh, Ben, um, would you like to end the this episode with the song that you and Kendra danced to for your first dance at your wedding? Or would you like to do something else? Yeah, listen with that one. That was um, put me on the spot here. Oh no! Yeah, it's, no. It's, it's, I know it's a Celine Dion song. I just never remember <laughs> the, the, which one it is. Um, for all those times, it, yeah. What's the name of that song? Because you, because love you me. love me. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can never remember. I know. I know the song. I just can never remember titles. But yeah. All right. <laughs> um. <laughs> I I tried to help him, Kendra. Because anyway. you love me. <laughs> So we'll end this episode with the, oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Start writing that in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you very, very soon. Peace. Peace. you brought to my life For all the wrong that you made right For every dream you made